We're going to do a poll today, and it's not optional. So if you are here in person, you get to participate, and if you're online, you're going to answer the questions by typing into the comments. If you are a dog person, please raise your hand. If you have dogs in your house, okay, thank you. I always start with that because that's often the majority of the room, but you never know. There can be a cat church. Where are my cat people at? Okay. Where are, now, I didn't know this was a thing until recently. Where are my both people who have both dogs and cats in your house? There's a few of you. Somehow you have figured out how to keep the two sides at bay and you keep peace in your home. None of the rest of us know how to do it. Amen to you. Brave. Where are my other people? Maybe you have a reptile. Maybe you have a bearded dragon, a corn snake, maybe a pet tiger. You fill in the blank. Where are my other people at? Raise up nice and proud. Okay. And where are my no pets leave me alone people? Well, we love you too. I'm a dog person. I realize that I often talk about all sorts of things But something you may not know about me is that I have a dog. Her name is Annie. I have had Annie for, we've had her, she's about 12 years old. Laura and I have been married for almost 12 years, and we've had her for 11. Here's what happened. Annie was born on a beach at Puerto Rico. It's actually, it's very sad. It's called Dead Dog Beach. But there was a wonderful rescue service that came in a van, and they approached dogs on that beach. And... They usually use food. They approach with a van and food, and she came up, and suddenly she was on her way to New England. And then another family adopted her for about a six-month period. It didn't work out, and she lived with us. Now, what's interesting about my dog is I don't have a perfect dog. Do any of you have a perfect dog? We don't really have perfect dogs, but I see maybe one or two. But I don't have an evil dog either. Does anyone have an evil dog in here? You know what I'm talking about. Well, so my dog, I, I'm really, she's getting older, and so we're really stopping to reflect on her life and think, you know, we've had wonderful memories with her. She's been around for 11 years. Maybe we'll have more. We don't know. We're never guaranteed tomorrow. But what we're really realizing is that our dog lives a very balanced life. I don't know if you've ever thought about this with dogs, but dogs can actually show you kind of the right way to live. Let me show you what I mean. So my dog likes alone time. Anybody have a dog that's a bit of a loner? So for like three hours, she'll go lay on someone's bed. And what is she thinking? You know, if if you could figure out the transcript of what's going on in your dog's head, you could write a sitcom or something, right? All the things the dog's saying. We don't really know, but the dog has kind of quiet time for a period. Then my dog, Annie, also has her people. Who are her people? She's got my wife and I. She's got our little kids. Now, side note, we were worried because she's a little dog. Anybody have little dogs? Where are my little dog people? Okay. So sometimes you worry with little dogs that they're not going to be great with little kids because they'll get kind of intimidated. So we did a lot of intentional work with when, when my oldest daughter was born. We got the blanket from Ruby and we gave it to Annie for a while and Annie slept with the blanket. And so what we've really noticed is that Annie's got her people, and she really enjoys our family, but her people extend to some other dogs, close dogs. When my parents' dog, Michelle, had doggy cancer, which was very sad, Annie was the chief caretaker. The two of them would have wonderful time together, and my dog was kind of Michelle's hospice nurse, for lack of a better term. She had wonderful time with her people. 
But I told you she's balanced. She also really likes going on adventures. Does anyone have a dog that likes puppy adventures? If you say something like a walk, my dog is going to freak out to the point where she's going to destroy all the furniture. If you don't get her outside, it's going to be really bad. If you say to her, hey, we're going over to... Um, we're going over to Elsa's house. Elsa is my parents' dog. She freaks out. And again, you got to get her out of there. What I have realized is that my dog lives a balanced life, unlike us. Too often, us humans live unbalanced lives, don't we? It's really easy to live a life without balance. Maybe we're too isolated. Have you ever felt too isolated? There's a there's a solitude component of life which is important, but all of life should not be alone. Amen? Can we agree? Now, sometimes we're too social. Do you ever feel like this? You look at your calendar. I felt like this in December. I looked at my calendar, and I realized we loaded that calendar. It's just every Christmas event you could do, and I felt a bit unbalanced. Do you ever feel this way? You can be too social. Also, sometimes you can have too much adventure. Maybe that's feeling too busy. Maybe that's just saying, hey, I'm overextending myself. Unlike my dog, I think it's easy for us to fall into this kind of a thing. And when we start to live unbalanced lives, what happens? Nothing good, right? We start to feel like something's really missing, something's really wrong. Maybe we go into a normal circumstance and we just feel off and we say, I should be happy. I should be content, but something's really off, and I'm not sure how we got here. Now, I want to show us, we're in a couple-week series, before we get into Lent, where we're going to be looking at some stories of Jesus from the Synoptic Gospels. What are the Synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? The first three Gospels. We're going to look at some stories from Jesus and how his way of living and his perspective gives a mindset that's more helpful than all the different ways we can default to. So if we live without balance, do you think Jesus lives without balance? He doesn't. He lived a very balanced life. So I want to show you a story in Mark's gospel. It's one of these really quick stories that sometimes we gloss over that's really important because it just shows how Jesus, our Savior, lived his life. That sounds helpful. He doesn't go into some deep theology. He doesn't sit and give some wonderful teaching. You just see the kind of balance he lived his life. So I invite you, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're also going to throw the words on the screen. We're going to look at five verses together, and we're going to look at them now. Here's what it says, and we'll put the words on the screen here. So before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region to Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So what we see here very clearly is that like Jesus, we can live out our faith on three equally important levels. This is a very brief section of scripture where you see Jesus do three things. You see him have alone time, you see him have together time, and you see him do something beyond that. When we think in our lives, in our 
parenting, in our marriage, in your workplace, in your faith life, you fill in the blank. When we are not having the right mindset, when we're feeling unbalanced, I want to invite you to think, okay, Jesus saw different levels that are all equally important. Alone time matters. Social together time matters. Missional time where we do cool things and we go out of our normal circumstances, that matters. God is with us in all three parts of these. And to live a balanced life, having a Jesus mindset, we want to have the right balance between these three. Can we agree? So let's begin by looking at a little bit of his alone time. So as we're looking at this kind of balance, just me and God is what it means to have alone time. Again, the scripture tells that before daybreak, Jesus did not sleep through his alarm clock. He did not hit snooze. What did he do? He gets up. And he goes to an isolated place to pray. When you think of isolated place, I want you to think of kind of a, a wildernessy kind of thing. Think he traveled a couple minutes outside of his little town. And he find a place where it could be just him and God. And so Jesus understood, right? Jesus, our Messiah, is fully God, fully human. And even he understood that part of a balanced life is a prayer life. That can be hard for us, can it? Because we try to balance our life, and we start to do this. We start to kind of do, right? Any Karate Kid fans? No? Okay, that's fine. Kung Fu Panda. Okay, so we start to get kind of a balanced life going, and the first thing that goes is this level. The first thing, because we're trying to balance the busy calendar. We're trying to balance all the kids' needs. We're trying to balance our spouse's wants and desires and expectations, right? And we're trying to deal with all these things, and the first thing to go is me and God. So I want to show you the importance of it, and I want to be really honest, because Jesus' strength to do anything is really supported by his commitment to pray. And I think we need to be clear on that. Jesus' ability to do, Jesus does all these wonderful things. And we want to follow Jesus' way for our life. And he, over and over, you're going to see, and we'll show this in a little bit, over and over he prays. And for us, there can be barriers to prayer, aren't there? There can be things that get in the way. Now, as you look, and you can list them all out, and you can say, I really want to pray, but generally there's two big kind of categories when we think of things that get in the way for a prayer life. There's excuses that have to do with me, right? There's things like, I'm too busy. Do you ever feel too busy? I'm too busy to pray. I'm too exhausted. I can't sustain the right rhythm, right? I see these people. We know them, the super Christians, right? We look around and we're like, wow, they have amazing prayer lives. And it is so awesome. And spiritual journal and all these wonderful things. But I can't maintain that kind of that kind of rhythm, and so we don't pray. We say, hey, alone time makes me feel uncomfortable. Does this apply to anybody? You know, you say, I'd love to pray, and I'll pray in a group, and I'll pray with people. I'll even pray in the supermarket, but you know, that alone thing, when I shut my brain down, I don't like what happens next. So that's really hard for me. And let's be honest, that can be a thing. If you've had difficult things in your life, sometimes we wire ourselves to go, 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 be busy, to avoid the creeping alone time. And so when, when your pastor says, hey, I'd love you to pray more, you can say, David, that's great. 
you've lived a pretty easy life. You don't get my life. You don't get the things that have been difficult. And I don't like clearing out my mind and just sitting with my thoughts. And so that's a, that's a fair, it's kind of a me-centered thing, but it's fair. And some people say, hey, I'm not wired like that. I don't need to have a, a faith that has prayer as a main component. I can have an active faith. I can really do things, and I can, I can do cool things for Jesus, and that's good. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you encounter those me-centered excuses, look around in this room, you're in good company because all of us have dealt with some of them, have we not? We've all had some of those things come into our head. Then there's also some misunderstandings about God. God is distant. Do you ever feel like God is distant? Now, Scripture shows us that God is not distant. One of the big, categor- one of the big themes you can see as you look through the entire Bible, you can go through every book, and we can show you how a big theme is God is not distant. God is an ever-present help in trouble, etc., right? But we can sometimes feel, hey, God was connected to Moses or to Noah or to Mary, but God's really distant in my life. And that's a misunderstanding about God. Sometimes we can also say, hey, God feels silent. Have you ever felt like this? I want to pray, but God's gone silent on me. Don't raise your hand, but can we be honest? That can be a challenge. Now, there's a wonderful Christian thinker. His name is Dallas Willard, and he's been very helpful for me. Dallas Willard writes about kind of how to hear the voice of God and how to understand that God is always speaking to us. God is never silent. So I jotted down a couple things, and these are helpful. So number one, the fact that you have a Bible, if you open up the Bible, that's God's word, and God speaks through his word. Another thing is that, and we don't want to see these as the only thing, but have you ever gotten kind of a Holy Spirit nudge? Hey, maybe I need to reach out to someone. Hey, maybe this is the right next step. In context, these can be very helpful. Do you have a Christian friend? We'll get into more of this a little bit later. Calling up a Christian friend and saying, hey, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. Where are we kind of at on this? God speaks through our Christian friends. And also the fact that Jesus came into the world, Jesus is the word of God, and so just the fact that Jesus came into the world and lived a perfect life, we can look at things and we can say, hey, what would Jesus do? I know that became kind of a meme in the 90s, so don't make that your whole faith. But in context of other things, kind of wondering, like, I'm going through this difficult situation at work. What would Jesus do in this situation is a helpful way to hear God. Now, we can have barriers to prayer. Can we? Can we be honest? We can have barriers to prayer. But there's some tension, because if you look at this, in these three books, we're doing the Synoptic Gospels, and there's a whole bunch of times where we see that Jesus had a personal prayer life. He prays, withdraws, and prays to God. And so what we say is, okay, I can get all about me or have a misunderstanding of God, but as I'm trying to have the right mindset in this new year, okay, I've got to reconcile this, and I've got to realize there's got to be some sort of way for me to get more intentional about prayer. Because if I want to be balanced... This is often the first thing that goes, and it's often the foundational part of my faith is my prayer life. So as I've been kind of growing up, something that was helpful for me was, and we've got a slide for this, so something that was helpful for me as I've kind of shifted to have a personal faith is that I always, as a little kid, 
saw kneelers. Do you, want a, do you know what a kneeler is? A kneeler is like this kind of weird thing, interesting thing that you would kneel on and pray. And I often thought that you needed a kneeler to pray. Have you ever felt this? Maybe you didn't. Maybe that was my childhood, and that's okay. <laughs> that's why I'm your neurotic pastor, and David did the, did the hard work so you don't have to. But what I started realizing is that even though I had wonderful family faith and all these times where we'd, we learned the Lord's Prayer and all these different things, prayer never really felt super personal to me because I always thought you had to be in certain places to pray. I always thought the prayer could take place at your church, it could take place in a prayer group, it could take place at a dinner table. But then I heard this guy when I was in sixth or seventh grade sing this silly song in church. And it's a really corny song, and we're not going to, our band is not going to sing it anytime soon. But it's called Pray Where You Are. And here's how a couple of the words go In the fields and in the factories, there is no limits, rules, or boundaries. At work or school or driving in your car, pray where you are. And I thought for a moment, I can be a very rule-focused person, and it kind of shattered all my rules when it came to prayer. And I thought, wow, so you're telling me that this whole time when I thought there were rules about I can pray here, I can't pray here, I can use these words, I can't use these words to pray, all those rules are not helpful, and I can pray wherever I am. But it wasn't just me. There's a wonderful woman, her name was Susanna Wesley, who here feels that you have a lot of children? Anybody feel like you have a lot of children? Who has two children? Raise your hand if you have two children. Three children. Four children. Five children. Nineteen children. So she had 19 children, okay? Um, so she's too busy to pray, right? So here's what Susanna Wesley did. Now, interestingly, she's got two really famous kids. One of them is the theologian, John Wesley, and the other one is the most successful Christian music writer of all time, Charles Wesley. He has more success than Michael W. Smith or anybody else. But regardless, so she had her 19 kids. And do you know what she would do when she needed time to pray? She had an apron and she would flip it up over her head. And if you looked at, at mom and she had her apron over her head, you left her alone because she was praying. Now the reason I say these things is because as we're looking at a balanced life, here's my question. What does your prayer life look like? If you have maybe me-centered excuses... Let's set those aside. If you have misunderstandings about God, those are misunderstandings about God. We can pray where we are. Yes, it's nice to dedicate specific time like Jesus did, maybe to go out into the wilderness, but a lot more of us can relate to Susanna Wesley being so busy that we have to flip an apron up over our heads, can't we? And so my big question for you is as we're having the right mindset in 2024, what does your prayer life look like? Is it part of your balanced life, or you're saying, wow, I feel kind of convicted today. Maybe this is something that the Lord and I can get right on, because it's not about saying, I have to have 75 minutes of prayer, and it's got to be interrupted. No, it's understanding that this is a building block of my life, that Jesus prioritized praying, understanding, let's be honest, if you're in a relationship with someone, let's say you've got girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance. So early relationship. If you never talk to them, what happens? The relationship kind of withers away, right? If you're in a long-term marriage and you never talk to your spouse, what kind of happens? The relationship kind of withers away. Same thing with God. It's not that God is like, well, you never talk to me. But we start to feel like, wow, I never talk to God. I feel distant. 
So there's our first level, and it's honestly, I think, really the building block for the other two. So Jesus made sure to be balanced, to have a life where he had alone time and understood that it was him and God. Let's look at the next level. And this one is together, with my people. So after Jesus goes and withdraws, what happens? Simon, Simon Peter, and the others find him. Now I want to point something out. If people know you in your life, they know where you like to hide. Everybody hides, right? We all have this. We have, for example, um, I'll, I'll tell you all where I hide in this church. If you come during the week and you try to find me in the building, am I in the office? I'm not. I'm on the couch closest to the TV in the new room, okay? That's where I'm sitting. So if you know me, and now you all know me, but if you know me, you know where to find me. The fact that the disciples knew where to find Jesus in an isolated place meant that they knew him. Is that fair? Now, Jesus understood the importance of having people in his life. If you notice, Jesus didn't come as a baby, grow up with his mom and dad, and now say, I'm going to go stand alone like the prophet Jeremiah. Well, because even the prophet Jeremiah had Baruch. But I'm going to go stand alone like the prophet Jeremiah, and I'm going to stand and speak for God. No, what he did is he immediately started building followers. And he said to people, come follow me. And he said, hey, we need to have life together. And he had all these wonderful friends. Now, in our lives, you know, I think this is something that I've probably said before. A big mantra of me is everybody needs a buddy. I really feel very strongly that in our lives, when we try to live by ourselves, we feel unbalanced. We feel isolated. When we realize that God has put other Christians in our lives, and therefore we get to get to know them, Sometimes there are people who are pre-Christians and we disciple them and they become Christians. Sometimes they're long-term Christians that we get to get to know and they come into our circle. Life is so much better together. And that's what Jesus shows us here. Simon and the others knew where to find Jesus and they have this opportunity to do cool things together. By the time Jesus is ready to ascend to heaven... He sends off people as friends and as apostles and as people who really understand his mission and his purpose for their lives because he's lived a life where he's really shared all the ups and downs of his life with them and they with him. So, how many hands do you have? I mean, how many fingers? Hold up your, you know, hopefully you have two hands. Hold up your fingers for a moment. You got five, five fingers. How many senses do you have? You have five senses. How many vowels are there? Unless you're like a Jeopardy scholar and be like, uh, Y and W are technically vowels in certain... Okay, my phonics people, fine. But there's five vowels, okay? We've come up with an activity that I think is really helpful. I want you to hold up your fingers for a moment. I want everybody to do it. Today's the audience participation thing. And if you're online, hold your, hold your hand in front of your computer screen. Now, do you have five Christians in your life who actively speak into your life? and who you actively know. Think about it. Who are the first five Christians in my life? This person, this person, this person. Now, for me, I did this. Some are family members. One is a guy that I primarily talk to via text, phone call, and Zoom, but he's still one of my first five Christians. When we are feeling unbalanced, if we cannot answer this question, we say, okay, 
if I had a missing part of my life, of my prayer life, and you can put your hands down, thanks so much for being great participation. If we're missing the prayer part of our life, that's something that can be worked on. If you don't have five Christians in your life who are actively speaking into your life that you're seeing, maybe you're getting together with meals, you talk to about not, not this, right? How's church? Oh, good. How's your work? Oh, it's great. How are your kids? Oh, they're awesome. How's the wife? Oh, she's great. That's not like a relationship, right? That's stained glass masquerade. You can call that anything you want. That's, that's not, okay? I'm talking about like, I just had a, a challenging conversation with my child, and I wasn't as patient as I could have been, and this is a Christian I can talk to it about. I'm talking about that kind of relationship. I want to challenge you. If we have five people at least, we're going to feel so much more balanced. And so that's one of the reasons why we in this church have something called home groups. It's really been wonderful. And what is a home group? A home group is a small group of Bible study that meets in a home. Okay, so we have ones in the Pine Hills. We have a brand new one in Onset. Hey, who was part of the brand new Onset one? The Tesno group. That was great. Apparently, if you're from Onset and you live there year-round, some people call themselves Tesnos. I learned this this past week. Um, we have wonderful ones in West Plymouth. We have all sorts of different groups, okay? What I have learned is so critical about the home groups has nothing to do with the fact, it's wonderful we get together with Bible study. That's great. But you can do that at the church. You can do that with your spouse. You can do that anybody. Where? What is so crucial with home groups is they create networks of Christians who support each other when difficult things happen. So I think of one group in specific that we launched a year ago. People were in the hospital from it. And I literally got calls from other people in the group, from the hospital, visiting a person in their group, saying, hey, just so you know, Pastor, um, this person is in the hospital. There's been times where people have gone away and they've needed caretakers for older family members, and members of that group have used that network to line things up. When we have at least five Christians in our life, amazing things happen. The church isn't planning home groups to give you one more thing to do. We want to set you up to give you this level of balance, to say, hey, my prayer life is important. The Christians in my life are an important part of what I do. And so here's the question for you. Who are the specific Christians you rely on today? On a sheet, we hand out a sheet. We give questions. We give all sorts of different things. At the bottom, you're going to see an activity. It's going to give you five boxes. First five activity. I'm going to ask every person, and I'm going to ask you to respond yes if you're willing. Are you willing to take time to prayerfully fill this out this week? Okay. If you're willing to do that, if you can't fill all five boxes, please come talk to me. Please check in with the office. Please talk to someone in your church, and let's help you fill out your box. We want to give you Christians who you're connected with, who you don't feel that you have to be insincere with and act like everything is perfect. One of the ideas of church is to come together and be real. One of the ideas of church is to come together and realize there's something called a messy middle of life, and we're just honest about it. I'm your pastor. I'm not perfect. I see wonderful people here. Look around. None of you are perfect. You don't need to be perfect. We're here together to love the Lord and to follow his ways for our life together. So that's Jesus' second level, and here's our final one. And really, we've kind of alluded to a lot of this, and so let's now be clear. 
Jesus had alone time, together time, so a prayer life, Christian relationships, and beyond. Living missionally. I want to read this last part, and I think it's really important. We're going to read this together where it says, but Jesus replied. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Now, we come to things like this, and people can say, that's amazing, but I don't see how that has any intersection with my life. We can see our prayer life, how that makes a difference for me. We can see how prayer life makes a difference for my family. We can see how Christian friends really makes a difference. If you have little children... The idea of other little children who all love Jesus and have similar values, we can see how that makes a lot of sense, right? But sometimes we look at this and say, hey, the missional stuff is for my pastor. That's why we pay him. He's the professional Christian. Um, amen to that. Thank you so much that that's not my problem, right? Not my circus, not my monkeys is what we talked about last week. Now, here's the good news is that that's not true. And we all have the opportunity to be missional. Jesus does not set up some attraction where he brings in thousands of people. Jesus, over and over in the Gospels, goes out to people. In fact, you can really summarize Jesus' mission as go, preach, and do. This is what he does over and over. He goes somewhere, then he's honest about life and the kingdom and about how messed up the world is, and then he does God's work. Sometimes that's casting out demons, sometimes that's setting up leaders, sometimes that's healing people, all sorts of different things. Sometimes it's listening, by the way. One of the big things he does is he'll go, he'll preach, and then he'll listen to a totally unheard person. That can be a missional part of your life. Now, when we look at this, Jesus' mission for Christians is really summed up in two passages. And again, this is where I've been part of churches my whole life. We can often, and not this church because we're amazing, but other churches can often say, hey, that Great Commission stuff applies to my pastor and my church leaders. Hey, that Acts 1 stuff applies to the early church. Well, I want to show you two things, and I want to show you how it applies to everybody's life in this room. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you. Go, preach, and do live an active life. Make a difference for Jesus. The other one is in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my, Jesus's, witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And then he lists starting in different areas. Now, we come to these and we say, that's great, but I'm too busy to make disciples. I'm too busy to really make this a major part of my life. But my friends, when we are not finding ourselves balanced, one of the reasons we're unbalanced can be that our life doesn't have a missional aspect to it. In fact, I love going to business articles and all sorts of things. I read Inc. Magazine from time to time. Inc. Magazine gives four reasons why it's important for every person to have a mission. Now, Inc. Magazine is secular. They're not saying you should follow the Great Commission. Inc. Magazine is simply saying, hey, if you live your life without a mission, you're just going to be all over the place. You'll feel unbalanced. 
A life mission integrates who you are. It takes everything that seems to not make sense and it puts it together. A life mission provides focus, a clear idea of this is what I'm trying to do. It simplifies decision making and it holds you accountable. So that ultimately say he, either I'm walking with the Lord, I'm following his mission for my life, or I'm not. Now, as we're looking for a mission in life, I want to be really clear. If you say, I'm too busy for Jesus' mission, you are still buying into some other mission. Maybe it's culturally, maybe it's politically, maybe it's just frustration, maybe it's the mission of sitting and getting pulled into TikTok for 12 hours a day. You give me any mission you want. But the reality is, is we all have to make a choice. At the end of the day, I have to have a mission. My mission can be to be a stuck, unhappy, unbalanced consumer on a couch and feel miserable, and that becomes my mission. When we start to embrace a missional lifestyle, we start to have a real balance. I've really been reflecting on different generations recently, and this is something that we chat about in this congregation. Look around. Anybody a baby boomer here? Okay. Anybody a Gen X? Anybody a millennial? One of the things that's really big on millennials is that I've noticed that almost all the people that I grew up with, and in fact, I mean, honestly, look around. There's not a lot of the, the people that I grew up with are super involved right now. And this is in our society. One of the things that happened is millennials deconstructed. And deconstructed simply means they looked at the church, they looked at Jesus, they looked at the Bible, and they said, hey, I've built things wrong, I'm going to knock the wall down. And so I've really been reflecting on, hey, why didn't I deconstruct? And how can I pastor a church in a way where people don't feel like they need to deconstruct? And how can I raise children in a way where people don't feel like they need to deconstruct from my parenting? And so I've really reflected, and I've realized there's one thing that was how I was raised that was different. From the earliest I can remember, my life has always been missional. My parents always made sure that things were missional. For example, when I was two, three, and four years old, my dad was a pastor. He still is a pastor. And he wouldn't leave me home when he was doing the work of the church. He'd take me to the hospital. And there'd be someone sick, and we'd visit together. And we'd go into a nursing home, and I'd play the piano for an elderly person, play maybe How Great Thou Art on the piano, and have this missional life. And so what I've reflected is that not that I'm perfect, because I'm not, not that my family or this church is perfect, but when we start to live missionally, it really integrates our whole life, and it gives us a sense of balance. When I was in second grade, my whole school... The whole class, we went on a field trip to a nursing home. And I remember walking in, and everybody froze. Because I'm going to be honest, when you go into a nursing home, there's old people there. And a lot of them are sick. And there's an interesting odor when you walk into a nursing home. And everybody froze. And I said, hey, I've been to this nursing home before with my dad. And I walked over, and I showed kids where the craft room was, and we did some fun crafts with some old people. And we walked over and we went into different rooms and talked to some people who aren't able to get in the wheelchair and they're bedridden. This continued throughout my life. When, I, when we moved here in 2005, the first thing, I moved in the middle of my high school. 
And the first thing that I wanted to know was, would I be able to volunteer at this library because I loved doing story hour at the previous town's library? The reason I bring these up is because when we are looking as Christians, as spouses, as bosses, as subordinates, as parents, when we're simply looking and feeling unbalanced, here's the question. What about the mission? What is my life's mission? Because everybody has a life's mission, whether you realize it or not. Maybe your life's mission, as we're in an election year, is to be really frustrated by this or this. Maybe your life's mission right now is to really pretend that the election is not happening this year. Maybe your life's mission is to be really, really, really busy and try to prove something. Maybe you fill in the blank. My question for you as your pastor who loves you, who cares about your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, and I represent church leaders and a church who feel the same way about you. What is your life's mission and does it connect to the gospel? Here's our big idea and our Jesus mindset. Like Jesus, we can live out our faith on not one, not two, but three equally important levels. So as we come into this new year, if you're feeling like, hey, maybe I need to, this is the time where I got to focus on my prayer life. I got to say, you know what? Me and God have, we got to work on that relationship. Not that God is distant, but I'm distant. Maybe I say, I'm at this point where I hear these people have these wonderful Christian friendships. I would love that. That sounds amazing. I'll be open to that, and I will use the resources of my church to really build some Christian relationships. And maybe it's that I'm okay in those other areas, but I'm just feeling stuck, and I'm feeling kind of passive. Maybe I need to just really be living missionally. And so we're not going to bring a prayer team forward. I'm going to ask you to do something instead. I'm going to ask you, If you are willing to really examine your life this week and the balance, just do it. Just take time, take 20 minutes one time this week and sit down, you and the Lord, and a piece of paper, maybe this sheet, maybe something else, and say, you know what, God, if I'm feeling unbalanced, why? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that as we look at living a balanced life, that we would not see that it's about doing more. We would not believe that we need to feel more guilt or shame or fear, but we would see that we have the opportunity, Lord, to joyfully be open to your leading, to follow really in the example of Jesus who lived understanding that he had a deep, wonderful, rich prayer life that he had a deep, wonderful relationship with people he really got to know, and he had a mission and a purpose and a calling and lived to really reach the world. Lord, I pray that no matter where we are today, would you give us the willingness to be honest and to look forward, not back. We can live with your sense of balance. It's in Christ's name we pray.